Linux Out Loud is firing up our mics, connecting those headphones as we search the community for themes to expound upon. We keep the banter friendly and the conversation somewhat on topic and have fun doing it. This week, we're spouting off about what it's like to be content creators on the Tux Digital Network. Let's get into episode 14. Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. With me today are my two super awesome co-hosts, Matt and Nate. How are you two? Fantastic. I'm doing not that bad. Matt always likes to bring me down. (laughs) (laughs) Nate, I only like to bring OpenSUSE down. Never mind. That's so weird. yes, that's bringing Nate down. It is a little bit. Not, not too bad. Not too bad. You bounce back. I can deal with Matt's negative Nancyisms, so it, it's okay. It's just a realistic point of view, Nate. So what you're saying is you're more of a pessimist, not so much of an optometrist? <laughs> I know that was not right. <laughs> no, my optics on reality are totally correct, so I'm okay. Oh, okay. All right. He's okay. Maybe. We'll see. I don't know about that. <laughs> We'll see if he has a good game recommendation at the end of the show, if he's actually in a good mood or not. Yeah, well, he did get an app recommendation from me. He does get out of the house. He does like to see the sun, so do some hiking. What was that app that I suggested, and how is it working for you, Matt? I live in a populated area, but it is widely dispersed in certain areas outside of the metropolitan area. A lot of fields, a lot of all that stuff. So the app recommendation that Wendy had gave me was Onyx, or O-N-X. This particular version is Onyx Hunt. The reason I asked specifically about this version was because it has an awesome feature that tells you the difference between public and private land and it also tells you who owns the private land so that way you don't trespass which is great when you go out hiking in the woods or you know just any type of hunting hiking backpacking however you want to do your nature exploration i've been finding it fantastic i love the fact that there's a seven day free trial for you to actually get the full experience without actually having to purchase the app first then again at 30 bucks a year for what you get And if you're big on the outdoor exploration of things, this is a fantastic application. I can't say enough good things about it. I already bought it, so that should tell you something. I'm a cheapskate. We all know that. (laughs) Yeah, we know. Says the guy running 1980s technology still. Well, that's a different kind of cheapskate. (laughs) (laughs) But the fact that you can get it on iOS and Android and it is very thorough in what it provides. And again, I think for the service they offer, it's well worth it. They do have multiple versions. So the one I was specifically looking for was the one that Wendy recommended was the hunt version. They have a backpacking version. It has things like avalanche warnings and a a bunch of other stuff. If you're more mountainous areas, don't live a lot in the mountains, more of the woodsy areas. So that really wasn't what I needed. But for some people that might be a better recommendation than they have like an off-roading one. It's a fantastic app, regardless of which version of it you decide to actually get. So I've been loving it. If you're planning a trip or a hunt, you can also view it from a desktop from your browser, which is really, really nice. We use the hunt version two one because that's one of the things that we do. One of the things we do as a family. And we live in a part of the United States that has lots and lots of public land between the Forest Service, the Bureau of Land Management, and then stuff that's more local. There's public lands all around us, and it's nice to know 
which of this land is public, which of it is private, because not all of it is developed. Some of it just looks like plain old sagebrush, and that might still be somebody's private land. And it's really nice to know the difference between the two. And if for some reason you needed to go on somebody's private land, you have their name, you can be able to contact them, ask permission and whatnot. It's a fantastic application. Like you said, at $30 per year with everything that you get in the different versions of the app, it's really awesome. We've been using it for several years now. While it's not an open source application, it's definitely one of the tops when it comes to maps and understanding what else is going on around you. I find it rather exciting that you're just getting out of your cave and doing things outdoorsy-like. That's really cool, you know, you being the gaming enthusiast that you are. What do you think the Steam Deck's for? (laughs) When you're on the go, you can play your games. You can join together your outdoorsy backpacking life with your indoorsy gaming life. Bingo. Nailed it. I think that's a great use of the Steam Deck, actually. You can combine the fun of everything. So while I'm out exploring the woods and everything, Nate, it looks like you're exploring solutions for your home and the cubicle lab some more again. What are you looking at this time? Well, now I'm looking at monitoring my power usage using Home Assistant. There are many solutions out there to monitor power usage, but the trick is finding something that is open source that will plug in, tie in with Home Assistant and not require any kind of cloud interaction. So I did a lot of searching, went through a lot of forum stuff on Home Assistant and did some well web browsing going on the different sites, reading about different solutions. What seems to be the best solution so far is something called Circuit Setup. The website is circuitsetup.us. And it looks like it's an open source style power management device that you can buy. It's very kit-like and it uses an ESP32-based device that controls it and it has ports on it for however many circuits you want to monitor has little clamps that go over the power side, and that's how it's able to record or sense how much power you're using. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those like fluke meters that have one of those clamps on the top of it. It kind of looks like that, except not as big of a clamp. And they have different sizes, depending on the size of the cable you're trying to clamp around. Since I did set up some solar panels on Cubicle Labs, I have noticed that there is a power reduction that I've used since doing that. I don't have a lot installed right now, but there is appreciably less power that the power company says I'm using. So I'd like to know with more granularity how much less am I using, how much am I producing, and actually do some math and see that things are correct or or close anyway. After looking around, I see this circuitsetup.us. It has Home Assistant tie-ins. It's very extensible, so I can add seemingly as many uh, additional circuits as I want. There's a six-channel expander you can put underneath it. I don't know that I'm going to need to monitor 12 different circuits at this point. I mean, maybe, maybe in the future. I don't know. We'll see. But it looks great. I'm kind of excited. I will be putting this in the cart at some point in time, getting the first one here pretty soon so I can see how this goes how it integrates with Home Assistant, and find out how much energy I am producing. This really is the best next step, the next evolution of some of the changes that you were doing on the cubicle labs and around your home. Is this a pretty expensive solution? No, the cost is pretty reasonable. The Node MCU that they sell is 12 bucks. The actual board that is expandable is like $75. And each circuit you want to clamp onto is depending upon the size of the circuit, is between, looks like, 9 and $12. So it's not really that expensive. It has more to do with I need to keep myself focused and not jump off into a bunch of other little rabbit holes and stray from what the core mission is, which is to offset my power expense entirely if possible. So when I get my first 12 panels all installed and operating, then I will purchase this because you know, right now I'm kind of in the middle of that and, and some other things going on too. And so I don't want to add another thing that they'll send me down a road where 
I might delay getting the more important project done. Finish one project before you start another one. Exactly. I'm really bad about that, and so I'm trying to have a little bit better discipline. This is a tall ask I'm having of me, but I need more discipline in how I start and complete projects. So speaking of staying focused, it looks like you finished a game when you should have been working, Wendy. Is this true? Yeah, it is extra busy time of year for us as... One co-op has come down to an end and the other one is getting close, but there's a whole lot of end of the year stuff happening for that co-op. And we are recording this episode on Monday, May 9th, so the day after Mother's Day. And I had so much other work that needed to get done, but I didn't. I sat down and finished playing a game that I've talked about before called Creepy Tale 2. I played the first one through, really enjoy it. Just finally finished the second one yesterday, and they are coming out with a third one sometime this year, and I guarantee I will be getting that one when it comes out. It kind of reminds me of some of those fairy tales, Hansel and Gretel, some of those other stories that are not so nice, but they're made for kids. Anyway, that's how Creepy Tale kind of goes. I was so excited to finally get it done. And one of the differences about Creepy Tale 2 over Creepy Tale 1 is in both of them, there's a storyline. You're following a story of the main character throughout as you are not only solving the puzzles, but trying to find out what's going on in the end. And at the end of the second one, it was kind of a, oh my gosh, surprise. I'm not going to tell you what it is. If you want to know, you're going to have to go play the game yourself. But... It kind of leaves me wondering where they're going to go for the third version of this game because of how they ended it and the way that same storyline or parts of that storyline were played into the first two versions of the game. Are they going to bring it back somehow or is it going to be completely different? I really like the art style, just a lot of fun. So I have left myself extra work to get done today because I didn't do it yesterday, but forget about it. I got to finish. All right. So I'm going to have to say yesterday was Mother's Day and on Mother's Day, you didn't work, but you actually enjoyed yourself. So what's the problem here? (laughs) Now I have more work to do today. That's the only downside. You're always going to have work. That's never going to go away. If you kick it down the road a little bit to have some fun of a game that has fantastic art style. I mean, I really like it. It's okay for kids to play, sort of, maybe? I would say for older kids, it might be all right. In the first game, if you remember, I mentioned that there were multiple times where the troll ate my face off. And there is a Ah, not-so-nice witch in both of these. So I wouldn't say that they are graphic as in some of the other games like it's definitely fairy tale story-esque but at the same time there is violence in it because you're dealing with monsters and wicked witches and that okay so yeah probably an older kid yeah i can see that after i'm watching the trailer a little bit more it started out really nice and then as it went progressed it kind of got a little bit it gets dark uh, concerning yeah 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 it does the boat scene is kind of concerning but anyway yeah i think that's pretty cool it looks like a very fun game to play again i think that art style is great you know obviously it's won some awards and excellence in audio and so forth but looks like a fun game and how much is it going for it's only ten dollars it's not bad and you can usually catch them on sale i think i got both of these games one and two in a combo pack during halloween now that doesn't mean that it won't go on sale again between now and then even maybe as a combination but that's just when i happen to pick it up 
And yes, it took me this long to finish it, even though I absolutely loved the gameplay. It's probably also one of them, like Candle, where I'd go back and play it again, just because remembering exactly how to solve the puzzle, some of them do take skills, and those are the ones that I had the worst part in getting through, as my kids are heckling behind me because I'm dying again and again, and it's not because it's all that hard. <laughs> I just don't have great hand-eye coordination when it comes to gameplay, which is why we all know I don't play first-person shooters. So I just want to say and sink in this moment that Wendy completed a video game not at my behest. Truth. This is one I found all by my little lonesome. I bought it myself. I played through both of the versions myself, and I'm going to be a Matt and share it with you. Well, Matt enables people to buy games. He doesn't necessarily enable people to finish games. Those are two different kind of enablements here. <laughs> Nate, let's be honest. I don't even finish games. <laughs> right, see? And exactly. that's why you keep buying new ones, because of reasons. Yes. <laughs> you will get no arguments from me on that one. Uh, one second. I need to go make sure a kid didn't just die. That's understandable. Is it though, Nate? Is it? It is. Thankfully, no kids died. Coffee pot broke, but we're all okay. Oh boy. But the coffee pot broke. Well, it's a metal one, so you can still brew coffee in it. You just can't lift it with the handle. But they broke the coffee pot. That's the important How thing. How did they break the coffee pot? Well, they dropped it this morning and broke the plastic handle off the metal coffee pot. Well, then they tried to super glue it back on, and the super glue didn't hold when the coffee pot was full of coffee. <laughs> oh. And the coffee pot hit the floor and made a mess all over my kitchen floor. So now that mm. everybody is alive and okay, they need to clean up the mess. But Wendy, they broke the coffee pot. That's the part that matters. <laughs> well, this sounds like a perfect opportunity to 3D print, design and 3D print a new handle system for it. That's what I'm hearing. Ooh, I like this idea. I like this idea a lot. Good. Hmm. I guess I need to learn how to use... Either FreeCAD or Blender, however, is the best way to design that so I can do that. And what's the best way to take measurements of something? I mean, I've got some calibers, but... I would do calipers. You're probably going to have to go through a few design iterations to get the fitment just right, maybe. I don't know. That'd be the best way. I have a metric tape measure as well. I use that. Oh, that's a good idea. I don't know if I've got a metric tape measure. I've got all kinds of screwdriver bits, but I don't think I have a metric tape measure. I need to add that to the list of my growing tools. I also need a better way to design or not design my tools. I need a better way to store my tools. I can't get to them as easily as I'd like to. I'll give you a link in the chat as to what I'm printing for my tools. Not tools necessarily, but containing the tools. Oh, cool. Then we can talk about that next week. Heck yeah. This episode of Linux Out Loud is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. But standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your team can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also provides you with predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. DigitalOcean helps teams regardless of size, whether you're a team of one to a team of 1,000 people. DigitalOcean helps your team grow with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. 
As a listener of Linux Out Loud and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, even better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, you can get started with your $100 credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. There's been a lot of super awesome changes. We went from DLN Extend to Linux Out Loud. The network went from Destination Linux Network now to Tux Digital. And that means we're going to have more awesome shows coming to the network that aren't just Linux related. I know one of the big things that Michael and Ryan want to happen is some of those geek culture shows to come in. Yeah, we have a ton of that talk behind the scenes, so we might as well have a show that's centered around that too. Matt, Nate, and I wanted to take a little bit of time and talk about some of the things we use as creators, what we enjoy being creators, and maybe some of the behind the scenes stuff that happens that you guys don't get to see. Matt, what is one of the tools you use as a creator or maybe give us some of that behind the scenes dirt? <laughs> so for me, it really does depend on what you're doing as a creator on the network. Are you doing video? Are you doing audio? Are you doing a combination of both? Like in my case, you know, obviously we do this show, but I also do GameSphere. So GameSphere tends to be a combination of gameplay capture and audio and I also live stream. So for me, a core thing that I would need to do is obviously use something like OBS. A better knowledge of what it is capable of than I generically used to because I used to keep it really, really simple. If you look at my OBS overlays, they're starting to look like Michael's now. I think I've been working with Michael too long at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a sickness. It really is. Except when it's not terminal. You're right, because I don't use the terminal. <laughs> ah, well played. <laughs> But you're welcome for the dad joke, by the way, Wendy. <laughs> so uh, for me, having OBS and being able to use other tools that are available across the network, Michael and those guys, Ryan specifically, Ryan is very much a what most people would consider an audiophile. Being able to lean into like, hey, how's this sound? How, you know, just like from an audio quality perspective is great to have. Michael, you know, you can get a designer's perspective and that kind of stuff when you want to do different things and try out different things. That networking effect is a great thing that being a content creator amongst a team of content creators is really, really helpful because you can get feedback with people that you trust. You can get other aspects and tools that you might not think of different perspectives and that kind of stuff on the content you're making or the quality of the content that you're making. And for me, that is probably the biggest thing that I like about being part of a, of a team of content creators is that networking effect and that team mentality of being able to lean into each other and try to figure out what we can do as a whole to make individual aspect of the network better. But in making that one aspect better, it improves the entire network. I have to agree. Being part of the network and having that experience in areas that I have none, like with Michael being a designer and having a designer's view of whatever it is you're doing, and then Ryan's audiophileness, although I haven't really tapped that those abilities from him, maybe I should, it's nice to have those resources within the network to help you improve your game as much as possible. And also the constructive criticism that they 
they give you is also very helpful, as well as the encouragement and keeping that motivation of doing more and pushing yourself just a little bit more to have better content. Yeah, absolutely. We may have different shows, but we're all still one team. And that feedback, that communication, that being able to say, hey, I've never done this book before. What's the best way to go about it? is so nice. It's one of the reasons why I'm really glad I'm not doing a podcast alone or it's not just us three. I'm so glad we're part of the team as a whole because of that being able to bounce ideas and stuff off each other. When we were renaming, we had multiple times where not only was it just the three of us on the show, but we were pulling Michael and Ryan in, sometimes other creators on the network, and we're like, what do you think about this? Where is it going to go? And when the right name came up, it just clicked. We're like, oh my gosh, that's perfect. And it fits so well, but it took some time to get there. Renaming the show was a long process. We actually worked on it for quite a while before we even brought it to the listeners about it being an idea to do so. Like as a behind the scenes aspect, I mean, we started talking about uh, name change and everything else after we felt that we kind of outgrown that deal and extend brand. We were talking about that around like, what, episode 80, 85 maybe at the latest? At the latest, yeah. This took a good three or four months of us leaning into other creators and people all across the network and giving their feedback. This is just for the name change. We're not even talking about like the logo redesign and how we decided to go about that or any of all those different kind of ideas come across from different people. Like I know I didn't make the recommendation for the community to vote on the new logo for us. That was, I believe Michael and you, Wendy, or you, Nate, I can't remember exactly. Yeah, that was a conversation that maybe Nate was in on it. I know Michael was, I can't remember. It's been so long ago now that. So my input was asked, but it wasn't really my idea. It was actually Michael's. I'm pretty sure it was Michael's idea that, hey, maybe to get in community involvement, make it a community thing. And uh, I think that's another aspect that as the core of the network, kind of different from a lot of the other, I don't want to even say just like Linux specific networks or groups or people or other creators. Just as creators, I think that constant focus on community is something that really differentiates us from a lot of the other ones because we're willing to take constructive feedback. We're willing to tackle questions that most other networks wouldn't, you know, so we're not afraid to address criticism or we're not afraid to address kind of touchy issues that some people might not touch. We might go about it in a different way and we might have different takes on it. That open and willingness to have those discussions and kind of present it to the community, let the community have their say, being willing to discuss the community's perspective and kind of have that conversation with the community is really something that doesn't happen very often in a lot of like other content creator networks. And I think that's something that's really unique to Tux Digital, Destination Linux Network, whatever you want to call it, brings a unique flavor to the overall content that we do. What's also nice about it is the fact that it's a very friendly network of people. So not just the creators, but also those that are part of the network, listeners and contributors and everything else. It's not just necessarily that everyone's just nice and they're not going to have any criticisms because obviously, Matt, uh, you can't go a day without criticizing me on something. But it's honest dialogue that we can have about numerous things. And it's not emotionally charged for the most part. People are decent to one another here, which makes 
being a part of this network as a creator much more, I would say, relaxed. We can truly be ourselves and that's great. Yeah, they even get to see the side of us, the back behind the scenes that we don't necessarily get to portray on the show. It is probably no surprise to a lot of people that my sense of humor isn't conducive most of the time to the G rating that we want the network itself to have. We want it to be family friendly, but some of the backstage stuff is sometimes a little more playful, a little bit more fun. That's one of those behind the scenes moments that you guys will get to hear about here right now, but you won't necessarily get to see on any of the shows just because of the finalized product that we want to put out. And it's nice to be not only co-creators with everybody on the show, but to feel comfortable enough with the crew that you can just kind of open up, be yourself, and everybody gets along and we have a good laugh and continue on. I know the meetings that we have can be quite entertaining. It's not like any corporate meeting you've ever had or even think about having. It's a ton of fun. I always feel like we're a bunch of friends getting together and I love being a part of that itself. Yeah, it's very unusual that you get locked in or not locked in. Not a good term here. It's not very often (laughs) that you get rolled into a group of people that You may not agree on everything, you may not have the same views and everything, but you can have a great conversation about the things and you can challenge one another, you know, kind of like the idea of iron sharpens iron. I feel like that's a real core piece of what makes Tux Digital such a fun network to be a part of. I think the thing that makes that, as you said, Nate, iron sharpens iron, I think the fact that there's a base level of respect, even if we do have differences of opinion and sometimes, yeah, they can get as they do with geeks and nerds and everything else, especially around technology and all the other stuff. It can get very emotional for some people. People put a lot of emotion into you know their tech and kind of that stuff. Not all the time, but for the most part, we have a baseline level of respect, even if we have a differences of opinions with people. And I think that's another thing that kind of makes the network a little bit different too. We don't want think tank mentality of like, you know, uh, conformity mentality when it comes to the network. We want people to bring their ideas and perspectives to the network because they have a unique perspective and a unique outlook that other people might not think of or, you know, an approach to technology or an approach to Linux that is going to be different than somebody else's, you know, as an example, I'm a GUI person. You guys are more of a CLI terminal people. Like, that's a different perspective. And you're allowed to be wrong, and that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> and you're allowed to be wrong that OpenSUSE is a good distro for beginners, so, you know. Right. Except I'm not wrong. <laughs> Go use the Wi-Fi installer, <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, <laughs> stuff like that where we have the playful differences of opinions. We have the sarcasm. But you can tell that behind it, there's... Nate, don't fall over in your chair. There's a baseline low of respect. And yes, I mean, even as much as I playfully joke around with Brian and Michael, I do respect them and their opinions and their takes on technology, even though... When it comes to some of the privacy stuff, I might disagree with Ryan. I might disagree with Michael on some of the technology stuff. But at the end of the day, I do have a baseline level of respect for their approach to where they're coming from. Right. And I didn't have to fall out of my chair because I have a standing desk. So just in honor of that, I tripped over my feet. Perfect. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I'd say the best part about being a part of any community or a network or whatever is that difference of opinion and being able to separate the opinion from the person. If you are able to look at something objectively and see whatever it is for its merits. Even if you don't agree with it, even if it grinds you a little bit, 
it's good to you know stretch your own maturity. And I really feel like Tux Digital, this whole network of people, really forces you to stretch your maturity in how you interact with one another. It's really difficult sometimes, like for me, because I although I come across as being more genial than not, you know, I am a human. I am prone to making mistakes because all humans make mistakes. And having a community that can recognize that we're not all perfect people is great. It's very encouraging because you don't have to be perfect all the time. You don't have to be, you know, zero defect, but rather we can celebrate each other's defects, like, you know, Matt's inability to understand how Wi-Fi works and still find their input to be valuable. And I don't have to think of Matt as being, you know, a technological new because he doesn't understand what WPA is. And we can joke about it afterward. And it's not a big deal. It's not, nobody gets their feelings hurt because Matt doesn't have any. Wait a minute. My feelings are hurt right now. I am totally left out of this conversation. (laughs) You've never complained (laughs) about how easy it is to set up Wi-Fi, so... (laughs) No, I haven't. And we agree on the use of CLI. So that's one, another thing that we have in common. I have used OpenSUSE before. While it is not my Linux baby... I don't dislike it to the range that Matt does. Well, actually, I don't dislike it at all. I just find other distros fit my needs better, but that's beside the point. Every once in a while, we get a chance to gang up on Matt. Oh, like probably one of my favorite episodes since we changed names, the one where it was trolling Matt like almost the entire episode. It was so much fun. (laughs) And based on the numbers from listens, you know, our listeners kind of liked it too. That's because Matt is the ultimate troll. Trolling the troll. It's enjoyable for everybody. (laughs) So one thing I want to say is I don't dislike OpenSUSE. I just dislike the installer specifically. Yeah, I know. That one aspect of the installer. Overall, I think OBS and a lot of the stuff that they bring to the Linux ecosystem is fantastic. Yes, I said that. If I acknowledged it as that, then that made everything, like at least a good 15 minutes of everything I said, totally invalid. And I don't want to invalidate what I said. So I'm just going to you know, just assume. Nate is willing to <laughs> overlook the truth to be able to give you crap because, you know, that's what happens here. Yeah, I know. Right. I think one of the other strengths of being in this type of network is we're willing to try different things. Like uh, I know a couple of episodes ago for on DL, we had mentioned about trying to bring in some more content creators that are looking at more like geek culture in general, geek and nerd culture specifically. And I think that willingness to kind of explore different areas beyond while we all have a core interest, we all have different interests outside of Linux and technology in general. Wendy and Nate are fitness people. Uh, Nate, you're into like, you know, CNC and retro tech and all the other fun stuff. It's a wide range of interest that we have outside of just Linux. Yes, the core of the network is all Linux, but there are so many other areas that we have hobbies and interest in. It's not even, and I think that's a great thing to demonstrate that just because we have one hobby or passion doesn't mean we don't have areas in others. The network lets us explore maybe those other areas and maybe somebody will find those just as interesting as we do. I know for me, my big thing is video games. So you know, and so I do games fear that willingness to explore and that willingness to embrace creators creativity, I think is really speaks volumes to the network. Linux is the glue that binds all the nerd hobbies together is, is kind of what I see. Yeah. And we've already had some fun exploring different things like Matt was bringing up with GameSphere. It's not a Linux only game show. Well, yes, it is 
a main highlight of GameSphere. Does this work on Linux? How well does it work on Linux? But he also brings other platforms in, different styles of games, which makes it more encompassing because just like Matt has different interests, so do other listeners of the show. And having the name change for the network just seemed as obvious as the name change for this show because we already have something like Hardware Addicts where Linux is brought up very, very rarely. Like we really focus in on the hardware itself for the most part. And we have a ton of flexibility on this very show. Yes, the meat of our content typically is Linux related, but our intro section, our host related intro section is all over the place. I spent one episode just talking about my battles with contacts. Now, is that tech related at all? Uh, Maybe a little bit because there is technology and stuff that goes into making them themselves. But as a person who uses a computer all the time, I'm not the only one out in the community that is dealing with that battle. And it's one of the reasons why I add so many timestamps in the bottom. Because if you hit a conversation like that one where you're just like, "Mm, I'm just not interested in, you can easily jump to the next section of the show where it's something that you are more interested in because there's much more content, different types of content later on as we're going through. It does make editing this show a lot more difficult. This isn't the only show I've ever edited. But because of our very free-flowing nature of this podcast, it does take a lot of time for me to edit it each week and get all those bits and pieces out. And that's one of the things that people don't see But if you would like some extra behind-the-scenes information, make sure you're following me on Mastodon. The episode last week got out late. We were having an issue with Fireside. Now, we upload the podcast to Fireside, and Fireside delivers the podcast out all over the place to lots and lots of different podcast applications. And it's just so much easier to have one main source than doing that upload time and time again on multiple different platforms. Well, that one platform that sends the podcast out everywhere had an issue last week. I made sure because it drives me nuts not to release the show on time. I can't explain to you how much it bothers me for the show not to drop at 5 a.m. Mountain Time every single week. Well, last week that didn't happen because of the issue. And so that's where I was able to share with everybody who follows me on Mastodon, hey, the show's going to be late. This is what's going on. And so if you want to keep in touch with some of those behind the scenes things, stuff that's going on, that is probably one of the best places to do it because that's where I share those little notes. I also drop the extra on my Mastodon page. So there's the YouTube channel and then the extra YouTube channel where I'll drop some clips I upload the clip directly to Mastodon 2. So if you don't want to find it on YouTube, that is a great place to come get a little snippet of what's coming up in that show before you listen to the whole thing. It's like a teaser, the highlights. That it is. 
Sometimes they are comical. Sometimes they're a little more serious. You just never know. I never know what it's going to be until I'm done editing the show and I'm like, hmm, what's the best clip? Sometimes as I'm going through editing, I'm like, oh, that's it. I know exactly what I'm pulling. And other times I have to think about a little bit more to know what's going to make the best side piece. But that's an additional thing that I now do each week that I didn't do before we had our own channel. We are working on Odyssey. We've had a lot of issues getting all of that stuff to upload. I promise it is in the works. I'm not sure exactly what the issue is, but the auto poll from YouTube to Odyssey hasn't been working. But I know a lot of people who would love to see the waveform version, but not want to do it on YouTube. I promise that's coming. This episode of Linux Out Loud is sponsored by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager that we use and trust. Bitwarden lets you set up things like a pin to easily access your password manager, as well as additional authentication, such as master passwords, and adding phrases to fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Bitwarden is the easiest and safest way for individuals, teams, and businesses to store, share, and sync their sensitive data. Go to bitwarden.com slash tux to get started for free. Say you want that premium account that starts at just $10 per year. What comes with that? One gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, and Duo, Belt Health Reports, TOTP Authenticator Storage and Generation, plus priority customer support. Make the smart move like many in the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash T-U-X to get started for free. If you're like me though, you want to show your appreciation for this awesome open source project by signing up for that premium edition, especially since it starts at just $10 a year. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Linux Out Loud. We had some game talk earlier on the show, but now it is game of the week. I am familiar with this game and super excited to talk to you about it. Tell us the game of the week, Matt. So the game of the week is Ace Combat 7, Unknown Skies. It's an arcadey flight sim. <laughs> There's really no good way to put that. Pretend countries and you get to fly around in insert country of jet here kind of deal. F-22s, stealth bombers, A-10s, some mirages. Israeli stuff, you know, Russian MiGs, and take your pick. You got to fly around and have dogfights and missile fights and all the other stuff in a big open world. So that's generically the game. It does have a VR component, and this is the part that Wendy is more familiar with. I know this is one of her games her husband has played. I have played this top to bottom on Linux, so the entire story mode, multiplayer, everything works. Currently, we tried it on Steam Deck. It's verified. I can verify that it does work. Everything works. My biggest gripe with this game, though, is probably if you can unlock everything, it just takes a really long time. <laughs> The DLC season pass stuff is going to add about another $30, give or take, to the game if you want, like, all the DLC stuff, which its current price makes it about an $80, $85 game. That one I take a little issue with, but in fairness, you can usually find this on sale pretty cheap. It's been part of Humble Bundle multiple times. You can usually find it for under $25 when it goes on sale, and that includes the season pass. So it depends on where you want to complain about it price-wise. Fun game. 
beautiful game, not going to lie. Uh, I can't speak to the VR component, though, Wendy. You might be able to speak more to that than I can. I have only caught the VR component in passing. Now, this is not one that you can play with the VR hand controllers. You have to be playing with a gamepad. So that's how my husband's played it in the past. But the coolest thing about it, as you're flying with the VR headset, you can look down over the side of the plane and see the water, the land that's below you. You can track the planes better as they're flying overhead because you can just move your head as your plane is continuing the exact same direction. So my husband was playing it. He was sitting in the computer chair a little ways back, you know, more towards the middle of the room. He called me and he's like, hey, you have to check this out. This is really, really cool. So my mistake was not going and finding a chair to light stick next to him or whatever. I just stayed standing right behind him so that everything would be in line. I put the headset on and then as we are flying through the air at very, very fast speeds and game speed, I am standing there as we're flying, looking down over the side of the airplane and up at planes that are flying past and that was a bit disorienting. But I have to say the VR mode for this is awesome. We were using that on Manjaro. That is the distribution that I'm running right now where VR currently works on. I've only been able to get VR to work on my system while pulling in some extra components from the AUR, specifically several open source VR drivers. I will drop them into the show notes so you can get a list of what I have installed on here. Now, I believe on some others, the one I've seen it the most notably is Ubuntu, where everything is kind of pre-built in, pre-packaged. So once you install SteamVR, it says you're good to go. I don't know. I haven't tried that out. I know for our use, I have had to pull in those extra drivers in order to get VR to work. But if you have a headset, I highly recommend playing this game in VR mode. It adds another layer to the gameplay. I think it looks really cool. I watched the trailers, I guess you want to call it that. The highlight reels or whatever. It looks like a real fun game. The graphics look amazing. Uh, This is a far cry from the last time I played a game like this, which was called FA-18 Hornet. And it's on the Commodore Amiga, like in 1993. So I'm sure, well, I can tell you, the, the graphics go a lot better. The explosions, the destruction, the dogfights, the way the light reflects off of the planes and so forth. Super cool. Absolutely. If you're super interested in games like this, go ahead and pick up the game at full price. I know we didn't, at the time, we had the Humble Bundle subscription for games, and that's how we picked up this game ourselves. But it's one Magneto has thoroughly enjoyed. Though in fairness, the fact that it's Magneto, I'm surprised he hasn't actually caused anything to crash. You mean besides this plane? Be it the plane or the actual (laughs) hardware. (laughs) Well, the plane has crashed. I have definitely seen that happen. But the system hasn't crashed while he's playing it. Thank goodness. While I'm busy making game recommendations for people to try, you're busy actually building things and doing things so you can not destroy, but gather instead. This is true. I have been working on designing the racking structure I'm going to use for putting up the panels I purchased on top of Cubicle Labs. The main part of the building is pretty close to a flat roof. 
can point the panels any way that I really need to, which is, of course, going to be south-facing for here. I was having a little bit of a hard time figuring out exactly like the height, the width of how I'm going to do this. I'm going to build them so they work well with the roof angles and, and so forth. So as of this morning, I started it days ago, but as of this morning, I have a plan in place. I do have to kind of work on some of the dimensions to make sure that my angles are correct. You know, the tilt is right for the panels and, and therefore the structure below it is also at the right angles and lengths to make it all fit nicely. I'm hoping by the next time that we talk, I will have 12 panels up and producing electricity for Cubicle Labs and just a little bit less reliant on the electrical infrastructure that, that I am right now. I don't have battery backup yet, so I can't take advantage of that. I should say I don't have a building-wide battery backup yet, but I'll work on that solution in the future. This week, I will have something substantive in place in a permanent setup. What kind of batteries does it take to have a battery backup for your solar panels? Typically speaking, the most commonly used right now are either some sort of lithium iron phosphate battery packs or deep cycle sealed lead acid with the um, active glass mat, I think is what it's called, or AGM, something glass mat anyway. Those are the two most commonly used. You can't use a regular car battery. Those are for high amperage output, but you can't fully drain those. Otherwise, they basically they break down pretty quickly. That's what I'm looking at doing right now. I don't have a solution yet, and I've been looking at a lot of different things, a lot of different, different options. There's some really awesome commercial-grade options, which are in the tens of thousands of dollars that I do not want to spend. So I want to see if I can fabric cobble something together that will do the job, not burn the place down, and also give me the backup that I need. Is this another one of those things that you're doing videos on and you'll be sharing with everybody on how it all goes together in the end? I'm not sure that I would be the best provider of the information in video form on this. There's a lot of studying time, but probably like the final bits of it, putting that together, I could probably do some video on that. But I'll probably, if anything, cool. it'll be more likely to be an article on cubiclenate.com than a video because it's a lot of the details and such that I'd, it's easier to write down. I don't know that I have the right video equipment to actually show all this. You know, doing maybe like a tour of it at the end, but probably not the building process, right. but maybe something at the end I could probably do that would answer those questions. There's so much information out there. I don't know if I'd be adding to the noise or if I'd be adding to like a simple solution for other people. But for me, it's a simple solution that I know I can initiate when I get the backup battery solution piece of it fixed so I can have a true solar hybrid system. Definitely will be well explained at some point in time. Looking forward to it. Believe me, I am too. Wendy, my understanding is your 3D printer is hitchhiking. It's looking for a new home. Is it upset with you? What's going on? It's not upset with me, but I'm a little upset with it. Okay, let's backtrack just a little bit. Last week when we <laughs> talked, I was having issues getting adhesion, and I have solved that problem with the glue stick trick. I've been meaning to pick up some hairspray and give that a try as well, but for the most part, I have found A, it's best if the glue stick goes onto my cold glass plate. If I already have my glass plate warmed up to temperature, it melts it just a little bit too much in the process before putting it down, and I just don't get quite the adhesion. I wish that I would have the awesome adhesion that you're having without using that on the glass plate, but I'm not. I don't know if it's just the sheer amount of dust or whatnot that I've got in my home because we do live in two very, very different environments. But for some reason, I'm not getting good adhesion on the glass plate, even trying to keep it super, super clean. So that was big lesson number one. I do have auto leveling turned on. So every time now 
that it goes to make a print. It does another check of the plate before it starts the print. I also started using the Prusa slicer that you suggested last time. And I have to say, I'm still getting to know it, but I love more of the default settings that it puts on there. And you're right, it has saved so much hassle or me babysitting it during the warm-up process because I didn't want that extra filament that was slowly starting to drip down because it was bringing the nozzle up to temperature so much faster. I wanted to have that gone before it did the actual start printing. And of course, because I have auto leveling turned on, there was a longer time between having the nozzle at full temperature and doing those checks. So with the process slicer, it'll start to bring up the temperature. I can't remember exactly what it hits it to, but it's like 50 degrees Celsius under what it's going to be. So I think it's right around 150 degrees Celsius. Yep. It'll bring it up to that temperature. It'll go ahead and do the bed checks, do the auto leveling. Then once that's done, it'll go ahead and bring it all the way up to 205 degrees Celsius and then back it off to 200 after it gets going. I absolutely love that setting. One of the other settings that I've liked that Prusa does over the, what was it, Cura? Yep, Cura. The Ultimaker Cura is the other one. One of the other functions that I've absolutely loved about the Prusa Slicer is its arrange button. And there's been several things that I've needed to print. So one was some... They're meant for toothpaste tubes, but right now we're using them for medicine for our poor kittens. We've got 13 kittens at the moment. They're all getting doctored right now. Unfortunately, we've got ringworm, a fungal skin infection, pretty common, pretty contagious going through our poor kittens right now. So they're all getting doctored three times a day with some topical ointment for that. And I'm like, okay, I've got to go ahead and print some tube rollers for this because I want to get as much out of it as possible. We're using it constantly and it's easier, especially while you're wrangling a poor kitten that really would rather be off playing than getting goo smeared all over its paws to have the medicine ready to go at the end of the tube. So I printed off two different tube rollers at the same time. I was able to import them, select them all, hit the arrange button and it laid them out in the best way for them to print using my printer settings, which is so awesome that it'll do that for me. Plus the adjustments that it already has in speed where it'll lay certain layers down at certain speeds instead of going 100% all of the time, which was another issue that we were having with adhering to the plate itself. We have printed off some really, really big things. I will share some links in the show notes for stuff that we've printed off. We've been having a ton of fun with this. One of those was a really cool lizard for my younger son. We printed off a dragon hairpin for my daughter. So it's this really cool dragon skull. And then the hair is held in place with the sword that goes through the dragon's eyes. Awesome, awesome print. Here's the downside. These are things that take a long time to print. I did try the pause feature and it did not work out for us the first time I used it. I'm not exactly sure what all went wrong, but it didn't seem to start at the right level when it restarted. 
And so it took a little bit for us to notice. And then my daughter pointed out, hey, mom, the nozzle isn't even touching what we're trying to print right now. But I also didn't see filament coming out of the nozzle. I don't know. Like I said, I don't know what went wrong. That's something I need to play with because having that be able to pause is really important. And it's one of the reasons why I got the machine that I did. Anyway, back to the bigger problem is with these really, really long prints, it's going at night. And right now, this 3D printer's in my room. Yes. So I'm hearing that noise constantly while I sleep. The first two prints we did, Magneto wasn't home. He was out of town for work and I was just the one who suffered. We had another print, a squid going for my son that I started yesterday morning. And it didn't get finished until I want to say like 2 or 3.30 a.m. Yeah, so that was like half of the night, most of the night where that was running and I didn't really want to pause it because of the issues we'd had before. There's no way that I want to be 13, 14 hours into a print and we're like, oh, let's just pause it and hope it works because I totally want to do that 13 or 14 hours again. No, not really, not at all. And so it has to find a different place to live so we can do those longer prints because I have some stuff in my wish list to print that take over 24 hours to do. I understand that. And I don't have the printer where I sleep, thankfully, because it'd probably be broken. So one, I want to give you a lot of credit <laughs> for not breaking a 3D printer. So well done there. Secondly, I don't know your house layout or whatever, but a garage or something like that wouldn't be a bad place. But again, I don't know like how hot it gets in your garage and whatnot, which may not be an issue really for the 3D printer since it likes the warm. It doesn't like the cold as much. Winter would be a problem because it's not a heated garage and needs a little bit more insulation. And I do worry about it getting too hot, but it's more the dust because like I said, that's definitely an issue here. And in the garage, that would be worse. Yeah, that's a good point. So hopefully your 3D printer can find a adequate spot that'll work for everybody. But giving it its own table, like something similar to what I put together that I shared with you in the past, uh, using those Kealak tables, the enclosure probably wouldn't work in its entirety for you. By building some sort of a specific piece of furniture, but that's not the right word, enclosure or platform for the 3D printer where you can move it if need be is probably the best way to go as far as like long-term joy of use, I would say. Because you don't want it in the way. There might be some periods of time where you're not using it as much and something that doesn't get use could end up being a shelf for something else or whatnot. So right. finding a, a specific place, keep it clear so that it doesn't start gathering things or clothes. Yes. And clothes, not so much. I'm not necessarily worried about clothes being put on it, but definitely other things like papers or whatnot that could just casually get tossed on there by not only my kids, but I am totally bad for that myself. So yes, I want to be able to keep it clear. I love the idea of building a specific structure that is just for that. We have a spare room and it's kind of the catch-all. So yes, it is where guests will sleep occasionally. But other than that, it's really the storage room. It's where a lot of my extra computer parts are, where I store all of my photography stuff, the sewing stuff, like everything gets put in that room. And right now I'm kind of wondering if maybe that isn't the best place for the 3D printer right now. When we get done, I would like to start another print, but I really don't want to start it where it's currently at. 
So that's one of the options to go look in that space, see if there's something that I can't do with it to get by until we have that specific enclosure built for this 3D printer. Yeah, that sounds like a good place. I mean, a sewing room is something where you make or fix things. And it seems like a 3D printer is something where you make or fix things too. So it seems like it'd be a good fit, but I don't know the, the size of the room. I mean, I'm on board with that idea. Not that I'm going to be lifting a finger to help you out, but that sounds like a good place for it. <laughs> but you know the struggles, you know how loud they can be. Yep. Can you imagine sleeping with that? And for me, it's not so much the noise. Yes, the noise gets to be annoying as it's moving back and forth. My husband last night, right around like one o'clock in the morning, commented on it. it sounds like an old computer that's trying to run. So you think of like those old <laughs> floppy disks, that sounds that it makes. Yep. It's like, that's kind of what seeking. it sounds. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so hearing that constantly for hours while during the day and I'm doing other stuff, I really don't notice and I don't mind. But I'm a pretty light sleeper anyway, and so it doesn't take much to where I'm awake. But the light that comes off of the panels and all of that definitely affects me way more. I was able to put up a board around it last night with help with that. It just it has to find a new home. This is working, but it's not really working. And if it does want to survive, if I do want to get all the prints done that I want to do, it's time <laughs> for it to find a new home. If it wants to survive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I want it to survive because it's a lot better than mine. And, uh, you know, you got to keep printing. It's an awesome printer. Absolutely. It's a very awesome printer. It's got lots of features I'm still learning. There's lots of things I need to learn about the slicer. And you brought up a new project for me that I need to start working on so it can't die. I can't break it. I can't have one of those three o'clock in the morning fits where, shut up, I just want some sleep. So it's got to move. Right. It's just got to move. Keep in mind that there are, I believe there are some options where you can mount some of those Gridfinity contraptions right onto the printer itself. We can use like T-nuts in the slots there. Yeah. Just start browsing around, look at some of the options, and you're you're probably going to get stuck. Let's send you down a rabbit hole for a while, so I apologize for that. But once you get out of that rabbit hole, you might thank me. I've already started diving to that because I knew that was one of the first things I want to do is get an enclosure made for this. We're not currently printing anything using ABS, but I know it is stuff that I'm going to want to use in the future. And it's another one of those things where... It'll just help the overall quality of the print in general to have it enclosed. It'll help keep it from being used from stuff setting inside of it. So it's definitely on the wish list. It's already something I've been diving into and there's so many options because this printer's been out for so long. Yeah, it's going to take me a little bit to figure out. It is a hole, but eventually we'll come out with a plan and I'll let you know what that is when I figure it out too. Having an enclosure will also help with your dust management situation as well. It does keep yeah. some dust off of it. I mean, I have to dust the top of mine. It's not all that dusty here right now yet. With summer coming, it's going to get dustier. I'm appreciating the fact that I do have an enclosure around it to reduce some of that. I'm going to have to do, and I've seen some ways to make some additional changes to it. One of the things that I have to watch out for on my particular model is I do have motors or bars out the side. So that leaves this gap that you either have to build around or leave open because my particular printer 
the bed moves in the Z axis and the print head moves in the XY axis. So I've got some additional motors up there on the top and on the side that have to be accounted for, though it looks like some people have been able to make some adjustments to tuck some things in a little bit differently to make that overall enclosure design a little bit better. It's really going to take some time and research. And because I have that dust issue, I really don't want to leave those gaps open on the top, on the side. I mean, when you think about it, when it starts printing during that adhesion phase, it's going to be up in that open air gap. And I'm kind of worried that if there's anything that I'm printing that's a little more susceptible to breezes and whatnot, it's just one more place where we could end up with a problem in the end. So there is some definite work to do in order to make this enclosure work right for our environment and our house. Now it's your turn to toss in your two cents on today's topic. Hit the discourse form, drop us a line under this video, or contact us on the contact form, and this is the last time you'll hear this, dlnextend.com slash contact. If you'd like to hang out with us on our preferred social media, see the links in the bottom of the show description. Like I mentioned before, if you want any inside stuff, what's going on in the show, you're gonna wanna check out my Mastodon page for that. Find other awesome shows like Hardware Addicts, Gamesphere, Linux Saloon, and more at tuxdigital.com. Show off your love for your favorite podcasts and shows by visiting the merch store. Grab yourself some awesome swag like the I Pause My Game to Be Here t-shirt from Gamesphere. There's also tons of stuff coming. Michael promises me that I'm gonna have my own shirt on the way now that we're almost done with the crossover to Tux Digital, you might be seeing it soon. Stop by the merch store. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another awesome episode of Linux Out Loud. Until then, keep the banter friendly, the conversation somewhat on topic, and have fun doing it. That's a wrap.